0: I have a little question to throw out at you with respect to uh, Jezebel and and Ahab. Uh, when they cut off the prophets of the Lord that we read of, was that the first state-supported persecution of believers? We've seen other ones in time, but that's, that's just a thought to think about for a while. Uh, there's been others, and maybe that was the first. Uh, but certainly, Jezebel uh, became symbolic of evil, uh, idolatry, spiritual fornication. And in fact, her name comes up a little later in Scripture in Revelation uh, 2 and 20 in that context. So she st- set the standard for evil along with her, her husband. So, let's move on to something else a little bit. Um, Just another thing for you to think about. Here's a question for you. Have you ever thought about uh, how many resurrections there were in the Old Testament? There were three. Have you ever thought about how many of them were connected to Elijah and Elisha? All of them. Uh, and sometimes, we kind of knew that, but sometimes when you put it in that that way, it just uh, helps you remember. And sometimes we pay a lot of attention to other prophets. But these are the only ones, these two, in the Old Testament uh, uh, that are connected with uh, real resurrections in their age. Um, just, just some little tidbit to think about so in that age uh, you have to wonder how the average Israelite that uh, was being drawn away got drawn away Uh, you know what would they think about this idolatry that was going on around them um those who, those who were following the law of Moses. Well, you know, um, certainly must have been entertaining uh, those events that they put on. Probably more fun than the law of Moses to go out to one of their events. Um, you know, the prophets of Baal and uh, those of the groves performed all kinds of entertaining antics. Some of which, of course, we have recorded uh, in the events at Mount Carmel, uh, when there was the contest between the prophets of Baal and and Elijah. Um, you know, the prophets of Baal wore all sorts of gorgeous robes, we understand, and other impressive attire that, you know, uh, was really interesting to go and watch and see, but um, they perform these rituals and gymnastics almost and and, uh, and so uh, leaping on the altar may have not been un, unusual as we read of in first Kings 18, crying aloud and, uh, and cutting themselves, mutilating themselves and so on. It was some event. Uh, however, you know. Uh, Um, after that and we're really not going to go into the details of things at Mount Carmel because lots of speakers have talked about those we're going to talk about other things more in their era in the era of Elijah and Elisha Um, Jezebel wasn't changed in the process as we know she stuck to her version even though three and a half years of drought uh, uh, had been upon them she was still sticking to her weather god, uh, Baal. And we know that uh, sometimes people stick to their position in spite of the facts. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, in spite of the facts, I'm going this way. Um, whether you call it pride or bullheadedness or some other thing, uh I'm sure we've all seen examples of that, and we've seen examples, I think, in our own selves at times where we get that way. Um, well, thinking of that average Israelite uh, drawn away maybe, how, how might it have happened? Well, you know, they, they clearly knew the first and second commandments uh, in, uh, in Exodus, you know, that, that wasn't unknown to them. If we looked at Exodus 20, just as a reminder, uh, Exodus 20, and verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Pretty straightforward there. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, which is the second commandment, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That was pretty clear. Um, so... Um, the process of falling away may have gone something like this, you know. I'm uh, um, not really giving up on God. I'm just uh, checking out these other idols and, and uh, these other beliefs. Um, you know, these, these people that we see around us following Baal, are, they're serious um, and they're committed and they're religious people. And, and, you know, they're very nice. Uh, I have some neighbors, and we get along pretty well. Uh, and, you know, one of their children is going out with my daughter, and he's a real nice religious young guy, and, you know, I'm kind of impressed with him. Uh, and, you know, their services uh, are much more entertaining and lively than ours, and and then our law of Moses sacrifices, because, uh, you know, I, I did go and, and uh, check them out, just, just, just to be an observer, of course, to, uh, to, to check out to see how, how they are, uh, get the facts, uh, and understand their beliefs. Um, and, you know, you know in many ways, they're, they're like us, just with a little bit of different emphasis. ever heard that before? <laughs> you ever heard that in the last few years? It was like us, but just a little different emphasis. Um, um, well, um, anyway, uh, and you know, when I went out and checked out the last uh, event that they had, just just of course as an observer and, and, and to get the facts, uh, you know, they had a really neat uh, service that went on where they, um, you know, they did the rain ritual. And you know what? The very next day, it rained. <laughs> and you know how much we've needed rain. And and the crops are, you know, going to be a pretty good success this year because of that. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it's probably not a good idea to keep all your eggs in one basket, is it? You know, I think I'm going to just spread myself around a little bit here to, you know, keep all the bases covered. Uh, and you could start to see how you could buy into this and begin to go along with it. You don't really, and if, they didn't really maybe turn their backs directly on God at the start. They just sort of got into the other things more and more. And eventually, of course, they, they did turn their backs. And, and maybe that's the way it went. Um, so, um, the process could be subtle and it could happen. Um, so, and getting back to this bail, uh, which uh, we talked about, that they were following after, that's one of the depictions that we put up there before. Uh, you remember that he uh, was the weather god, and you can't see it really well. You might be able to see it better in this one, how um, in his hands he's supposed to be holding lightning, thunderbolts, uh, indicating he's in charge of weather and lightning and and. Uh, the name itself, Baal, means uh, owner, husband, in a sense, in, as in lord and possessor of a wife. Um, and he controlled the seasons as well as the weather, and rains and sun. And, and depending on which area you lived in, Baal's had different capabilities and powers, and, and it was sort of customized to the to the locations. Uh, The windows in his palace in heaven uh, were thought to be the openings in the clouds through which the rain would fall. So that's how it was perceived that he controlled the rain. Uh, And the clouds were his entourage. Lightning was his weapon. Uh, And that's the sort of Baal that was being worshipped around him. Um, And he he was the, there were other gods, but Baal was the top god. Um, And in fact, he had an associate, uh, girlfriend, consort, whatever they decided, sometimes called Asherah, found in Judges 9 and 4, or Astarte uh, in Judges 2 and 13 or 10 and 1. And some claim him to be his sister, some claim her to be his wife, sometimes both, all of the above. Uh, So, uh, just as the uh, uh, Israelites sometimes built into their names of their cities or their, their personal names, such as Bethel, or Elisha, or Elijah. They had the name of God. So did many of the others. And we still have lots of those names around. What was, uh, remember what um, uh, Jezebel's father's name was? Eth And there were many towns and cities that had that word built into it, uh, that, that existed at the time. Baal Peor. Uh, and others Um, just to show the integration of and the influence of the uh, pagan activities in the land Uh, some of the towns still had the names Um, he was worshipped not only in temples but in groves and high places Um, and sometimes it seems the high places were the places where some of the other activities went on related to fertility rights and um, uh, centers of pleasure and whatnot, which would be embarrassing even in a restricted audience. Uh, there's one a picture of one of the high places. Uh, there's a uh, Another one that I've got here. Let me just pull that out. Some of these high places that uh, were around. And one last one. Well, actually two pictures on one page. Trees were in these places, groves, because they oftentimes believed that uh, uh, the worshipers, in a sense, were symbolic of all the trees around the shrine or the idols uh, so they planted lots of trees um, anyway let's carry on from that uh, and get into some other details but before we do that I just want to mention that there were a bunch of other gods that were worshipped at the time and uh, we run across lots of them, and they're all versions of somewhat the same type of deity. Chemosh, generally the god of Moab, the Moabites. Milcom, uh, the Ammonite form of Baal. Uh, Molech, uh, who uh, may have been the Adramelech of 2 Kings uh, 17. Similar, similar god. Uh, Some of these other gods, though, were ones to which uh, people didn't hesitate to sacrifice humans at times. Uh, Specifically, there's reference to that with Milcom. Uh, And do you remember which uh, we read which uh, place Solomon set up in Jerusalem? Jerusalem we read it earlier, we read it yesterday, First Kings 11, 5 and 33, he set up a, uh, uh, a temple, a worshiping place for Milcom, uh, the same God to which, in other places, human sacrifices were made at times. That's how far down things had gone. Uh, so, Uh, let's uh, let's move on so it was into this world that we can see here that Elijah came and uh, we can move on to another chronology rather than that more confusing one we used yesterday that blows it up here's Elijah and the prophets other prophets that were around at the same time which is kind of helpful to know He wasn't necessarily all alone. And Elisha, who overlapped and came along, Uh, if we look up here under the line of the kings of Israel that we've gone through, Ahab overlapped most of Elijah's life. And below him, uh, here were the kings of Judah that were going on in parallel. And some of the other kings into which they had uh, dealings with in other places, uh that we read of in Scripture. And it's kind of helpful to know uh, that uh, these things are all interrelated and the fact that there were other prophets around at the same time, Micaiah um, and so on. So that's the world that that they came into, that at least Elijah came into. Uh, Israel had had about uh, 60 years of the uh, uh, time since the end of Solomon's reign. There had been four different families who would taken over and tried to be uh, the rulers, um, and each one sort of took over by murder and politics and intrigue, and each successive king seemed to outdo the other in their evil. So, Elijah was quite the contrast to the fancy and ornate things of the kingdom, uh, the clothes of the kings, uh, the clothes and the activities of the prophets of the groves and and of Baal and the high places. Um, In fact, uh, he would have been really out of place in... in, um, Ahab's ivory palace or ivory house. And in fact, uh, a little earlier this morning, someone or our brother David mentioned something about him and what he was like. If we look at Second uh, Kings, early in, the, uh, in that book, we see a bit of a description of how he was physically. Chapter one, verse eight. Uh, he was a hairy man, a girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. Uh, he, he was rough and tough, and and uh, come from the rural areas. And yeah, in order to uh, help balance the um, follicle situation. Uh, It just so happens that his counterpart who followed up after him uh, was, uh, if we flipped over now that we're thinking of hair, chapter 2, verse 23, where at the end of that verse these young folks were teasing Elisha uh, and saying, Go up, thou bald head. Uh, So we have follicle balance here uh, between these two um uh, and for those brother Robert who uh, uh, may decide to uh, what would I call it uh, pick on or tease those who are follically challenged, uh, you know there has been precedent in history that they might meet a, they might meet a, a few very hairy creatures uh, as the, some of those did who who teased elisha. Uh, two she-bears. So, uh, anyway, that's just an aside for for the fun of it. But it helps us understand the two two men. Uh, Now, let's look at uh, the uh, other little thing that we remember about him, about Elijah. We saw here that he had a leather girdle but there was an important thing that comes up a little later um he had a mantle a type of coat covering that that he put over himself and you'll remember a little later on about the time when he was going to transition to his uh successor that the mantle became important uh was used to help cross the Jordan twice and as well it fell away when when Elijah was taken away. So this was sort of the rough mantle that they would wear a kind of heavy coat to ward off things that, uh, and it sure wouldn't have looked like the fancy robes of the priests or of Ahab and the ruling class. Um, And so he came to redirect people back to the basics, and he sure uh, was a basic-looking person himself. Um, No no interest in the enticements and gratifications and the comforts of this world. Well, you know, he seems to appear in 1 Kings almost out of nowhere in uh, chapter 17, we don't have anything about him before that, and the very first thing we've got is that he's right before the king, letting him have it, uh, telling him straight, you know, uh, there shall be no do or rain these three years. And uh, where, where's, where's his background? Well, it tells us there that he was a uh, tishbite, and that doesn't mean a lot and but if we look up uh, in a map and it seems that he's come from right there a little town called Tishbe on the east side of the Jordan River that's kind of important a little later because we'll find out that it's clear it's near something else that was related to other events in his life uh, And even his name itself, we mentioned, had the word God in it. Uh, It means, my God is Yahweh. And so just by pronouncing his name, you are making a statement about him. Uh, Elijah's God was Yahweh, rather than the others that were around him. And so, you know, he wasn't the one who halted between two opinions as uh, we read later, as to who was God. Uh, on Mount Carmel, you know, when he stood up and said in, in verse 21 of First uh, Kings 18 to the people, how long halt ye between uh, two opinions? You know, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow after him. But don't dither on the fence here. Well, uh... He wasn't himself dithering on the fence. Now, the land that he was from in the town of Tishbe is in the area of Gilead. So we see that mentioned about him as well. And not that there's a whole lot to say about that, except that um, Gilead means a heap of stones for a witness. Um, and it somewhat relates to some of the things that we've been talking about in our first period because you remember when um, Jacob had to separate uh, and he went away, went up to live with Laban for some time and eventually came back after a long time and it was in Gilead where he separated... finally from his father-in-law Laban and they built a pile of stones as a witness of the agreement that they'd had that they would not have conflict with each other anymore and they'd sort of leave each other in their own turf and so it was there in Gilead uh, meaning a heap of stones for a witness and that's the—that's where uh, he'd grown up it's a land that's somewhat separated and isolated from the main, um, the main part of the land, and, and he was kind of a, a rural uh, guy um, and used to living sort of rough, rough life. You also remember that in that area, we don't know which tribe he came from, but it was the area that was uh, settled by Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh because they had liked that area because they were herdsmen of cattle and it was good for their purposes to settle there. And But it was pretty isolated because of the deep trench of the Jordan Valley between that side of the river and the side where most of the other activities in Israel went on. And so it was an area where... Uh, you could get away. David took off there as well to hide when Absalom was after him, when Absalom was trying to take the throne. Uh, and, well, Elijah did but one point as well under the direction of God. So, you know, you think it was Uh, easy to stand up before the king who could immediately say, if he wanted, you know, off with his head and say some of these things to him, to say to uh, Ahab, you know, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, uh, this is going to happen. It certainly wasn't, but he was of a tough, Background and a tough character uh, that wouldn't back off from anyone. So, this is a direct challenge to the Baal, uh, the weather god. And eventually, the challenge came about. And if you ever thought, and this is another little aside, you know, it said, we read yesterday that uh, Jezebel had been supporting. 850 prophets of Baal and prophets of the grove. Well, 450 got killed at Carmel, the prophets of Baal. Whatever happened to the prophets of the grove, the other 400? It's just something to think about. Uh, uh, so, so, One of the uh, curses that was outlined in Deuteronomy 11 and 17 was no rain for those who didn't follow uh, God's directions. Let's just look at that. And the point being that Elijah, having said this, was saying in effect, some things that were directly out of the law. Um, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Uh, in other words, don't turn aside as it says in the previous verse, to serve other gods and worship them, or this will be the effect. So in effect, what he was bringing to them was nothing different than the law of Moses had predicted uh, in the past. And in fact, we know a similar principle will continue in the future, don't we? Uh, in the, even in the kingdom age, you remember uh, in Zechariah, the same sort of principle applied will apply. Let's look there in Zechariah fourteen. Zechariah 14, verse 17. And it shall be, and this is speaking of, of the kingdom age, in my understanding. Uh, it shall be. This is not uh, a principle that will has stopped, or will stop even in the future. And so it's an interesting perspective that we have, because Israel... The nation of Israel hadn't been going up to worship in Jerusalem for 60 years. Had they? They couldn't for various reasons, uh, as we've talked about. There was war, and they had these new calves that uh, had been put in place by Jeroboam. And so, for three and a half years, there was going to be famine because of no rain, and, and don't think that uh, they weren't searching for Elijah endlessly during that period of trying time, uh, trying to get him as well as the prophets of God that were already being slain by Jezebel. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, where we live, after a month without rain, we're in trouble. Uh, I can't imagine how it must have been without dew or rain for three and a half years. Uh, Even in the area of Palestine, where, you know, they're used to a little more dryness, uh, but I, I can't imagine how bad it must have been. And so by saying no rain or dew, that's kind of saying, you know, in a technical sense, there's not going to be even be enough cooling at night. So in other words, it won't only be hot in the day, it's going to be hot at night. You won't get even enough cooling to create dew at night. Now... After this pronouncement that Elijah made, uh, then pop—he goes away. He's taken away uh, to another place. And where did we, where do we see that that was? He was taken to a brook, uh, and. for his own protection, I'm sure, because given his pronouncement, they weren't going to uh, stand for him around there without at least a little persecution. They took him away, or he was told to go away, uh, to the brook Cherith, Cherith, which is before Jordan. Now, it just so happens that I have found another map that shows... Oops. Cherith. Cherith. Brook Cherith. Might be hard for you to see. You see what other town is next to it? Tishby? That's his hometown. Uh, so it would seem to me that where he went was just outside of where he had been raised. Uh, Now, this was a period of isolation where he had a long time to think. I don't know how long it took for the brook to go dry when the rain stopped, maybe a year. Uh, And Have you ever thought about some of the things that he had to think about there? Think about, like, ravens bringing me food. Um, Being cut off and separated there, and ravens bringing him food. You know, he has the great physical gulf of the the, uh, Jordan Valley between him and most of Israel. He's sort of over there in isolation, and... Uh, thinking about the ravens, bringing him food, uh, both bread and flesh, as we read. Uh, and what do, what do we know about the ravens? Um, well, Leviticus tells us something in the uh, 11th chapter. These are they which uh, ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the osprey, the osprey and the vulture, and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind. Ravens are are unclean birds. Isn't that interesting? Unclean birds were bringing them as food. Uh, You know, they're unclean, I think, because they were scavengers. Um, And so they scavenged food from some source for him. And we also have Job, who talked a little bit about the ravens. Um, In uh, the 38th of Job, where we see in the 41st verse, Oh, I'm having trouble turning these pages here. There we go. Who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. In other words, ravens were also dependent upon God, just as, as Elijah was in this case. Um, and so Elijah came to terms with being fed by unclean, unclean birds. And it wasn't his choice. Uh, and you ever thought about how they would get flesh and bread? Uh, I mean, we kind of hope the flesh wasn't roadkill equivalent because they were scavengers. Uh, <laughs> uh, and bread is something that's cooked. It's made. Uh, uh, it's just some things to think about there. Uh, and you know we're reminded, we're reminded that maybe he was given a bit of a lesson here, just as Peter was in Acts 10. Just be careful, uh, you know what you're what you're thinking about here, Elijah. Uh, just as Peter was told, you know, be careful. Uh, Acts 10. And uh, starting at verse 12, there was this great sheet, actually, in verse 11, knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And I'm wondering whether maybe some of these things that the uh, ravens brought were bringing somewhat the same message. Don't quibble about whatever this food is that the ravens are bringing you. Eat it. Uh... So, and I think there's further messages being sent as we carry on as he ended up leaving that place related to not only the food relationship of the law of Moses, but also how you deal with the Gentiles. Um, So, his dependency on God continued. Uh, He was learning, I think, some real humility here uh, as he was being cared for by unclean creatures so how long was he there we're not sure how long does it take a brook to dry up maybe a year Uh, but it says that after a while I shouldn't have uh, left that open uh, or at the end of days the brook dried up that's not really clear but let's assume it's about a year um And so, wouldn't you have been wondering if you were him, as you saw the brook dwindling down, dwindling down, less and less and less water, what's going to happen here? And then, when he got the message uh, to move, you know, it certainly wasn't, I think, the kind of thing he'd been thinking you would get. Uh, And once again, he had to leave his trust in God. Uh, And so we see in verse... uh, The word of the Lord came unto him in verse 8. Get unto Zarephath, that belongeth to Zidon. Now, do you think that would have been his first choice? Where is that? Well, it just so happens that it's on this map, way up here, between Tyre and... uh, Right in the middle, right on the coast. What country is that in? Not even in his own country. It's in the land of the Phoenicians. Where was Jezebel from? It was her home country. Would that be a good place to go and hide from Jezebel? (laughs) Would that be your first choice? Where was her father? Where were her brothers and their family? Uh, Oh, yeah, go and hide right there among them. Uh, Well, uh, was that a very short trip? Well, you can see what here it makes out in miles from about uh, there up to here is at least a good hundred miles. And that's kind of as the crow flies, or as the raven might fly, as we've been talking about. Uh, and it wasn't a straight way, a long trip in very difficult situation. He hadn't any food anymore, the water had run out. How many days is it going to take you to walk there? Three? Four? Five? Uh, and where do you have to walk through? all the land where they're out searching for you. Uh, And we don't have any indication as to how he got there, uh, but he did, and successfully. He escaped detection and came to the house uh, to Zarephath. And I could just imagine, you know, because we read uh, a little later, let's go to First Kings uh, 18, because when he came back and he talked to uh, Obadiah, Ahab had been searching seriously for him. It was a, a tough thing to do, to walk right through the country and know Go to where he did in Phoenicia. 1 Kings 18 and 10, he said, My lord, that is uh, Ahab, hath uh, uh, sent everywhere to find him. And when he checked in other kingdoms even, he forced these other kingdoms not only to say he is not there, but to take an oath of the kingdom or nation that he wasn't being hidden there So, in effect, as it would have been here in the U.S. in the Wild West, there were wanted dead or alive posters equivalent all over the place uh, for this fellow. Um, Now, so he came to Zarephath uh, right in the middle of the pagan practice uh, to a woman, a widow, who was commanded, as it said, to be able to sustain him. Now, when you think about that, that's about the worst choice from a natural perspective to have sustain anybody. In the middle of a drought, someone who would have no potential source of food or income because of having no husband. Uh but God works in mysterious ways. Um, And we're reminded, you know, here he had to go to another country to be accepted. Weren't there lots of widows in, uh, in Israel? Sure there were. In fact, Christ commented on that at one point. He said there were lots of widows in Israel, but where was Elijah sent? To a widow in a foreign country. Because, why? In a sense, a prophet isn't accepted in his own, in his own country. And that comes from Luke 4 and, and 24. Now, uh, think of the faith that Elijah had to have in order to walk up to that city. Did he know who he was looking for? Uh, in fact, did the widow know anything? How did they connect? Other than, as it says here, uh, he saw a lady out there collecting sticks and, uh, and spoke to her. Um, well, and then he asked her for the, probably one of the two hardest things to be able to give her uh, food and water. Now, we ask ourselves, did she know that he was coming? Or was this sort of blind chance, in a sense? Uh, I have a perspective that she may have had some sort of indication or revelation or something that a man of God was, coming, was going to come and see her. Uh, by the way the context reads, You might, uh, you might want to try reading that again yourself. Would, you, or would she have been so willing to unselfishly go and give her food away and find water? Uh, and especially when she said in verse 12, as the Lord thy God liveth. Now, how would a pagan woman in the middle of nowhere pick up an expression like that without some knowledge of who Elijah was and what was going on. Uh, That's why I begin to think there may have been, she may have had a little advance notice that something was going to happen. I uh, see we're about out of time. Um, Let me, uh, I think what we should do at this point is uh, call that the end and carry on tomorrow.